0: Hello and welcome to Under the Influence podcast. My name is Whitney Eckes. I am the owner and founder of the Influence Movement and Eckes Marketing. Before we dive in today's episode, I'm so excited to have this guest on. She is somebody that I look to and just completely admire. She. It's so funny because the whole point of this episode is to really kind of talk about how she did everything her own way, which is something that I so strongly believe in and stand by. And even when raising my own business, I feel like I just had to do it my own way in order for everything to work out. So before we go ahead and dive into this episode, I wanted to talk about something that's been on my mind a little bit lately and something that I've been developing with. I've been listening to all these amazing podcasts and obviously doing my due diligence and research, and I've really been noticing that I feel like there's a couple things for young entrepreneurs or aspiring business owners to kind of – need to put into place before they kind of dive into their daily schedule. So a couple of those tips that I wanted to provide are the following. So the first one is coming up with your morning routine. I am terrible at this. Um, in fact, I don't even think that it needs to just be a morning routine. I've actually heard people say that their nightly routine is amazing. Um, I was listening to one and she would sit in her bed at night with a cup of tea. Um, she'd actually put like magnesium oil on like the balls of her feet to help her like get her sleepy and like feeling good, which I'm totally going to try. And she would journal and then just kind of journal until she got tired and fall asleep. Um, So I feel like coming up with either like a morning routine or an evening routine is like really important. I feel like it sets the tone for your day. I recently have been actually going outside with my dogs and a cup of coffee and journaling. And it sounds so dumb, but I love to write. I'm a really big person where I need to express everything that's on my mind, whether that's through talking or through writing it out. And I feel like it really sets up my tone of day when I actually – talk about what I'm feeling and what I'm planning on doing. So my second tip is unwinding. I feel like lately I've been really kind of just hitting it hard, going all over the place, 100 miles an hour, always on the throttle. And I feel like when I come home, sometimes I notice that I'll bring my laptop home with me and I won't stop working to the point where I just, you know, like I'm, I'm leaving a project undone because I have to go to sleep. And that's something that I feel like causes me a lot of stress. So one thing that I have been practicing is unwinding after my day. So whether that's leaving your laptop at work, whether that's, you know, setting um, a couple tasks to do, you know, while you're at work and making sure you just get those few tasks done so that way you can leave work knowing that all your projects are buttoned up or completed. Um, The other thing I like to do is I like to come home. I like to fix dinner. I like to feed my dogs and my cat. And I am also a big advocate for having a glass of wine and turning on Netflix. (laughs) Lately, I've been actually switching to kombucha because I feel like it makes me feel better in the morning. So I'll have a glass of kombucha and turn on a TV show and have dinner and just unwind and literally just put my phone away, put the computer away, and just kind of focus on those times of just being kind of mindless and just letting myself rest. So my third and final tip is to unplug. I say this because I feel like everyone says this, like, you know, oh, you need time to unplug. Oh, you you know, like you have to do that. But honestly, if you're, in, if you're in the digital space industry, if you're working and your business involves social media, which, you know, almost 90% of all businesses now involve, it's really hard to unplug. It's really hard to not answer a DM, you know, at 7 o'clock at night or 6 a.m. in the morning or throughout the day. So I've actually set up times, and I always usually like to do this when I'm eating, where I literally don't look at my phone. I love to read on my phone, so I feel like that's okay. Like sometimes if I'm eating by myself, I like to read articles. I like to read different things, but I will not look at social media. Um, I think it's really, really crucial too because I've even noticed that even if I'm like answering a text back, it's almost like a like muscle memory for me to like go on to Instagram or go on to Facebook. And I, I really don't like that and it actually causes me a lot of anxiety because I'm constantly trying to keep up with this like feed and this scroll. And… I kind of get in this comparative mindset and I feel like it's not – it's just not healthy. So I like to set up really kind of healthy boundaries when I eat, not to be going and throwing and scrolling, not to be scrolling when I'm answering back to a text message and to really actually give myself, you know, a substantial amount of time throughout my day to unplug. Now, unplugging for an entire day is awesome. I haven't been able to do that yet unless it's like on the weekend or things like that, but I do think it's important during your workday to take some time to really just let yourself not be in that kind of keep up mode and always trying to scroll. So those are my three tips for today's episode. I'm really, really excited to – introduce you to our next guest. Her name is Amanda Bullen. She actually has the brand She Did It Her Way. And her story is so amazing. She came from corporate America and actually dove right into being um, her own boss. She's been featured on U.S. News and World Report, Forbes, HuffPost, and Entrepreneur Magazine. So we love her. We're so excited. And we cannot wait to hear what she has to say. So welcome, Amanda under the influence podcast is all about bringing together brands influencers thought leaders and communities to inspire and empower a positive impact each week i will dive into the power of influence over the ever-changing trend-chasing and slightly obsessed entrepreneurial and influencer community we talk insider tips tricks the latest buzz and even our top not-so-secret happy hour cocktails my name is whitney eckes i'm the owner and founder of eckes marketing and the influence movement and we are about to get under the influence Welcome to Under the Influence podcast. My name is Whitney Eckes and I am so excited to introduce our next guest. Her name is Amanda Bolin and she is the founder of She Did It Her Way and She Did It Her Way podcast. Amanda specializes in actually helping female entrepreneurs leave corporate America and become their own girl boss. So welcome Amanda.
1: How are you? Hello. Welcome. I got to say your voice is like so soothing. I'm on the other end and I'm just listening. And I'm like, <laughs> it's such like a little raspy late night. I'm like, Oh yeah, girl, like keep talking. Oh, no. <laughs> that makes me
0: so happy. I here's, I've been like trying to get better at it because I feel like I always laugh during all of the interviews and my editors like Whitney, Your laugh like dominates over anything that they're saying. (sighs) Like you got to like quiet it down. So I've been really trying to perfect my like radio talk show voice. Well, it's working. It's great. Thank you so much. So Amanda, Mm -hmm. go ahead and share a little bit about your story. I mean, she did it her way. Number one, that is such a powerful name for a brand, but your story as well. I mean, tell us a little bit about how you got started with this brand.
1: For sure. So we'll go all the way back to um, when I was in college and I graduated in 2010. Obviously, I think a lot of students and people graduate college, not really knowing exactly what they want to do. And they're still kind of figuring stuff out, which by the way, at 22, it's, I mean, it's so young. How are you supposed to know if you haven't explored and tested things to really figure it out? And I took a job with Target, working in their stores um, in West Des Moines, Iowa. So I'm originally from Dubuque, Iowa. I went to University of Iowa, and then Des Moines is about two hours west of Iowa City. And I moved there, I took a job and I had no idea exactly what I wanted to do. I knew that I loved working with people. I loved personal development. I had studied finance and entrepreneurship in undergrad, but I also knew that I didn't want to sit behind a computer all day running Models and projections for financial. And so, when I had the offer, went to Target and worked in their stores. Everyone's always like, "Oh, did you work at headquarters?" And I'm like, "No, I worked in their store, though." And some people are like, "It's not as glamorous," but I learned so much from that experience. And I was at Target for about a year. And through that experience, it was a really, um, it was an integral part of my entire story, which was I worked at Target eight years ago, and that is. When I was in corporate America, when I was in Target, I had experienced all the feelings of not being fulfilled, being really run down, working 60 hours a week, every other weekend, um, not having like working every other holiday as well. I was leading people. I immediately was performance managing people. When I got there, it turned out the store that I was in was the bottom performing store in the entire district out of 11. And then my entire work center was the bottom performing work center, not even not just operationally, but also talent-wise. So I immediately came into this space, which I was in the um, ready-to-wear section, which I'm assuming most of your listeners probably know that. That's where the women's clothes is all at. <laughs> and it was baby clothes, accessories, shoes, all the clothing. And so I managed that entire department from inventory and monitoring sales to leading and developing the people. And it was just a very, the 11 or no, 13 months that I was there, it was really this like high and low. And I was so excited because I was so young and I was very emotionally influenced where I'd be really excited and then really sad or all these different feelings that you get. And I just knew about five months in that this is not, I'm like, I can't keep doing this. Like this cannot be the dream that everyone talks about and saying like, it can't just be you go to school, put yourself in debt, get out, find yourself in a decently job. And I was paid pretty well for a 22 year old living in Iowa, made a really good salary, really great benefits. And so then you also had the poll and the ego side of things saying like, you're in a really good position. What are you doing? Why would you think outside of it? Why would you look for something else? I was also on a hypo track, which is the high potential track, and so I was supposed to have a store eighteen to um, three years in. So by twenty-five, I would have my own store to manage and be making a six-figure salary. And so all of this stuff was hung out in front of me. I had increased my salary within the first nine months by twenty percent when I was at Target because of performance, and all of this stuff. And I share it not to brag or anything, but to really set the scene for that um, listeners out there that may be finding themselves in the same situation where it's like you, sh- you constantly feel that you're in this really great position and you should be grateful, but at the same time, like you're not happy and your soul You feel like you're losing a part of you every single day that you show up, and you know that there's something else out there. You just don't know what it is, and you don't know how to do it. And so, I had um, the last few months of Target was uh, this one foot on the dock, one foot on the boat, where I'd have really good days and think, okay, I'm staying, and then I would have a really bad day, and I would find myself saying, this is it, I'm quitting. And finally, it was this time when I worked like I think it was 13 out of 14 days in a row. They were easily 10 to 12 hour days, and it was a Monday night and. And I was sitting in my kitchen in West Des Moines, Iowa, in the dark, eating at 7 p.m., listening to a sermon from the church that I attended at the time because I couldn't go the, the weekend prior. And I just started bawling. And I was like, okay, this is it. I physically knew it. So I made the decision found what i call a bridge job and that is if you have if you're working so much in your current job that you can't possibly see how you would find more time to network or more more time to actually figure out what it is that you want to do you need to find a bridge job something that will give you margin back to your life that will then be a little bit more flexible and allow you to do that and so I started working at Wells Fargo through a third-party agency. And I know I'm getting really, really detailed, but I feel like sharing these details about the journey are so important because then it gives an easier opportunity for people to, who are listening to relate and to say, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I'm going through. And so... I was in Wells Fargo for about eight months. And actually, during my transition from Target to Wells Fargo, I attended an event that I then um, met someone there who has an entire business model where he hires 1099 or freelance contractors to work on his projects. And his projects really entail sales and marketing training, facilitation, coaching, leadership development, all the things that I loved. So I networked with him for about eight months while working at uh, Wells Fargo. Then I get a call in April, 2012. He said he had a project with AT&T and asked if I wanted a seat at the table. And I said, absolutely. So I went in, gave my week's notice and flew out to San Diego for what is called a train the trainer. And so learning material, facilitating it, creating learning environments, like that is my jam. That is what I love. And so that started my entrepreneurial journey as a freelance facilitator. And I got to work with companies like at and and Intel, Weight Watchers, JP Morgan. And I still do freelance today because that is what I started my whole journey with. And I love it. And through that process, I launched um, in 2015, I launched a podcast. I think blogs were pretty big at the time. Um, I think blogs, I don't know. Do you think, are blogs like a big thing still? Would you consider them? Do you recommend people start blogs? Like, what's your take? Oh, it's so difficult because I've heard both ways. I've
0: heard blogs are dying. I've heard they're too much work. And then I've also seen some insane (coughs) website traffic where I'm like... things
1: work. Yeah, exactly. So So I'm kind of like, I'm like, do you, Boo Boo? If you're a writer, go after it. Yes. Yes. No, that's exactly why I get asked all the time. Why did you start a podcast, not a blog? And I said, you probably wouldn't want to read my writing, but you might want to listen to my conversations with people. And so I started as a podcast back in 2015, was doing one a week. And that's really how she did it her way, its first marketing arm extension. And now fast forward three years, we um, have over, oh my gosh, we're coming up on our 300th episode in October, which is insane to have met so many women um, through that. And um, now we have a monthly membership called Her Way Society. So people, we do hot seat coaching once um, an hour a month. And then we also bring in a guest expert based on what people in the community are looking for. We also have an annual summit, which is amazing. I love it because in online, I'm such a in-person People person, um, I get so much energy off of being around other people, and so I was really excited when we first launched that, which was last year in October, and then we had our second one this past April, and the next one is next April. So there's just there's a lot of different pieces to it, but I love all of it and the core theme is to really help women find their freedom through becoming their own boss and being able to leverage their skill set and identify it and how can they create a service based business and even though that's the primary market we get women all the time that are wanting to build the brick and mortar businesses that are wanting to build um coaching businesses, all that stuff. So it's been, that is a long, long wind, but it's been an amazing journey. So thank you for letting me share that. I appreciate it. Oh my
0: gosh. No, I mean, I'm dying over (laughs) you listening to it. I love the fact that you are, you know, you have this business, you have the summit, you have the podcast, like you have so many different outlets that you're just funneling into. And I, I love that. I love when a, when a business is multifaceted like that, especially one where you're like, you know you again it's just it's you and you're doing it exactly the way that you feel like you need to be doing it so like how do you i mean with all these things going on you know how do you stay driven and like what what's the passion behind your drive
1: yeah you know if you would ask me this question 6 months ago it would have been different there's still some core common themes behind my response but i'm definitely in a different situation than i was 6 months ago and the first and foremost the the passion and the drive really stems from my like core sweet spot, which is I love teaching, I love coaching, and I love being a maestro and bringing people together. And through being able to utilize what is my sweet spot and what I enjoy doing, I'm able to leverage that and teach people how to pull themselves out of corporate and really to create their own business because that's exactly what I did. And I feel for people who find themselves in a corporate job that is just Uh, soul sucking, but I feel that that just feels a little aggressive, but like, but it
0: is, is. I mean, my background literally was working with, you know, Hilton, Starwood, Marriott, and, you know, running all the travel ads, running all the marketing coordination, running all the email marketing, uh, that, 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 that. like it was, it, it, what it was. And there were days, I totally get what you said when you had one foot on the boat, one foot on the dock. And you're like, there were days that made you feel so good and so awesome. And then there were other days where you come home and cry to your cat. Oh my gosh. yes, (laughs)
1: totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. And it's, Oh, you said something that I was like, oh yeah i want to I want to follow up with that, but yeah, oh, okay, so the other thing is is it is it's so sucking in, in the sense that I think a couple of things one is if you don't have people or you're not surrounded by people that can show you what's possible, I was really lucky in target that everybody majority of the people around me were saying like no, 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 this this is how it works, this is how life is, but I had met someone at the time who then became a mentor who he built a life that he loved. He had financial freedom. He had business freedom. He had time freedom. And I'm like, okay, if he is showing what is possible, then I can do it because you can't be what you can't see. And so through She Did It Her Way, I really hope that it's an example of showing People, women, but I know there's men that listen too because I get a little emails and text messages from them um, that showing what's possible and what else like exists out there in the world aside from what you're currently experiencing in your life, and that that is the main drive, and and also too, it's just it's really learning to love the building aspect of being an entrepreneur and getting comfortable of feeling your feelings and and just enjoying the ride. I remember when Gary V would say, you have to love the journey. You have to, I love the process. And I'm like, okay, but what are you talking about? And then <laughs> now that's why I say, even you'd asked me 12 months ago, I wouldn't have been able to fully 100% without a shadow of a doubt, really sit here and say, it's, it's actually a love for the process. I love the testing and tweaking and not knowing what you're going to get. And you really have to rest in that because if you try to make um if you get really attached to what the outcome is and attribute, okay, this failed or I'm a failure, it's gonna you're gonna you're not gonna last long enough. And so when you can really find how to detach yourself from the outcome and look at it as an experiment, it just it becomes it takes the pressure off and it becomes a lot more fun and a lot more of an enjoyable ride. And obviously things get easier and you but you have no challenges and all that good stuff. But I enjoy the the, uh, climbing and building piece of, of building a business as well. So
0: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no. And I mean, I love that you said like, it's about the process to be even touching on the final outcome, because I think we, as entrepreneurs, you know, we have a lot of us see the end goal. A lot of us see a big picture. A lot of us are very, very big dreamers. We focus on that one end goal instead of really kind of letting it develop you know, Mm -hmm. or letting, like you said, enjoying the process. I have amazing friend of mine who's like doubles as a coach. And I was talking to her one day and she literally looked me in the eye and she's like, you have to be able to thrive in the chaos. You need to like, enjoy the moments of like putting out the fire and like, figure out like, even like turn it on its head and be like cool what is this going to bring me that's going to be a bigger opportunity it, it's such a reverse way of looking at it but if you don't look at it that way yeah you are you're going to totally burn out
1: mhm yeah and it's so the the mindset and how you frame things and how you choose to look at it or you know instead of thinking that by, I mean, a perfect example is I did a webinar series a couple of weeks ago. This is the first time that I was ever using Webinar Jam. I was so excited and nervous. I mean, I, I've i taught all the time. I've led workshops in front of people, like 50 people, hundred people at a time, and I would never be nervous, but I'd never done this before. I'd use this technology. I did the test run, everything. About a little over halfway through, I realized people were dropping like flies. And I figured out that the whole time I was on mute. And and I, and it's crazy. I mean, people are like, what? Oh my gosh, you had to feel horrible. And yet there's a part of me that felt horrible, but I have learned through certain other experiences that, okay, so I made this big mistake. Let's not do it again. I can sit over here and, you know, I can, I can attach meaning to it of that, I can say it's, oh my gosh, my, my, my career's ending. And because I messed up, like this means stop. And in reality, no, it actually means go because I'm learning. And that was a mistake. It doesn't mean that I'm a mistake or I'm a failure. I just need to do it differently next time. And so really being cautious about how we frame things and what we give meaning to, especially as a business owner, because there's a lot of opportunity for self-doubt to creep in and a lot of opportunity to say, I messed up. This means that I'm not good enough and I should just stop. I mean, oh my gosh. If, if that was the case, I would have stopped back in 2015 when you started, right? And so it's just, like you said, part of the process.
0: I, I love that you talked about self-doubt. I actually, I was on a different podcast. It was a breakthrough podcast. And she asked me a question. You know, She's like, do you feel like women experience self-doubt more often than men? Oh, and I like yeah. stopped and was like thinking about it. And I'm like, cause I, I grew up with a father that was just like a business owner, all the stuff. And like, kind of drilled it in my head. Like, you gotta be fearless. You gotta have a backbone, take nothing personally, like go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even raising this business and I'm sure same with you, I do feel like women totally let that self doubt dictate a lot of action. And it's so awesome too, seeing this new trend and this new wave of all these women entrepreneurs all of a sudden coming out of the woodwork. They've always been there, but now they're coming into the spotlight and they're talking about how they are the CEO of these massive fortune 500 companies and how mm-hmm. they actually, you know, they raise their children and they're doing all these things and they're, they're making this total name for themselves. But, um, I love that you said a thousand percent. Cause I agree.
1: I mean, I, it's definitely, When I'm coaching and I'm working with people, that is the number, it's the imposter syndrome or what if I fail if I send out an email and people unsubscribe and getting past the what other people think of me is a really big one as well. And I even personally went through that. I was, I would say I'm a recovering people pleaser. I mean, there's always (laughs) going to be that little bit that you're always going to subconsciously find yourself. Indirectly pleasing people, right? But yeah, I used to get so afraid that I I would say yes to so many coffee meetings and I would say yes to every opportunity because it was more fear of I didn't want to disappoint or upset or upset oh my gosh upset <laughs> people and let them down. That was my Iowa accent coming out, but now I have a Chicagoan. That's um, amazing. <laughs> but yeah, and then just getting better at setting boundaries too, and realizing that one okay, we can't please everyone. Because if we try to please everyone, we're not we're less focused than on us and we have to take care of ourselves first. And there's like all of that like thought work that I've done and have really helped me kind of release that people are gonna have opinions and people are gonna say things and that's okay and they're entitled to their opinion, but I get to be the one that gets to attach meaning to it and I'm gonna attach a more self-serving meaning and not one that like holds me back from taking action.
0: I love that so much and I love that you kind of spoke to being like the people pleaser and even like the coffee meetings and things like that especially I you know I coming from the San Diego community it, it's a lot smaller of a community when it comes to like the influencer space and the small in the personal brand space so it was I even felt a little bit like I might have been pissing some people off by literally saying no you know, I'm not going to, you know, collaborate with you for free anymore. I'm, or I'm not going to, you know, throw an event and put all this time and money into it for something. And even like the coffee dates, like, yes, I try to, you know, work with women and go to as many coffee dates as I can. But there's also, there's a fine line of, you know, kind of knowing that worth and also making sure that, you know, you are building on yourself and you're not getting easily distracted. So Mm -hmm. I love that you said that. I'm so happy that you're on here and, you know, being in this really awesome personal brand space, I love to kind of talk about like the power of influence and when we say influence, kind of like what that means to you. So in your own words, what does influence mean to
1: you? I read a book from Tony Robbins, which I'm a huge, like I said, personal development fan and I love Tony we're like BFFs, not really, but I wish. (laughs) And one of the things that I really took away, I mean, so there's influence that we have as influencers is a job description. Now it is a, it's given what influence was 10 years ago. It's given it a whole different meaning. And for me personally, what influence is, is having the ability to influence not just other people, but first mastering how to influence yourself, whether that's through discipline or achieving your goals and staying committed. And so how do I influence myself to then ultimately influence other people? And Influence is being able to get people to do things in for you or the way that you want them to. And it's not from a manipulative standpoint, but it's to build that, that know, like, and trust factor with other people as well.
0: Absolutely. A hundred percent. I feel like you nailed it. I feel like influence, like we were just talking about it on the last episode and I was kind of tapping into, you know, like this, this influencer title It's new. But it's always been there. You know, like we look to celebrities, we look to pro athletes, we look to motivational speakers, to politicians, like those are all people with it of influence. And now we're just breaking it down to different levels. And mm-hmm. so I love that you said that it's not from a manipulative point, but it's from that know and trust factor. And kind of moving forward with that, kind of did you have someone that was like the most influential person upon like your own business or building your brand like in, during that time?
1: I when I look at I kind of encompass my whole entrepreneur experience through the freelancing and then also she did it her way. I would say, I mean Tony Robbins, Brendan Burchard, um, Amy Porterfield, lately Brooke Castillo has, she's the um, founder of the Life Coach School. Her podcast is absolutely amazing when it comes to personal development. I mean, I've binged on that and went all the way through that. Um, But I do want to say like one thing about the influencer is I think oftentimes most people don't give themselves credit for their level of influence and how much they actually really can. And I say that from personal experience, because one time I remember back in the day when she did it her way in the podcast, and I didn't really think I'm like, oh, I'm not really an influencer. Like, yeah, people, thousands of people are showing up, but you know, I, I, I don't know. And we had a guest on our show who has, sells this like skincare product. And I was just on her website a couple uh, weeks ago. And I found that Someone who had left a product review even stated, I saw that I bought this because I heard about it through She Did It Her Way. And I started realizing, started seeing this that people were starting to do things because of She Did It Her Way. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it's just a reminder that we're always, every single one of us is an influencer in some capacity. And we don't have to start waiting to influence until we have a thousand followers or 10,000 or some people who have a million. Like start influencing yourself to then influence other people.
0: I love that. And I feel like you're even kind of tapping into a little bit of that micro influencer kind yes. of positioning. What do you what do
1: you have to what are your feelings on micro influencers? I mean, I would say I I don't know a ton about like the whole influence per se industry, but um it's when I observe how social media, and again, this is just my own opinion, IMO, right? In my own, my opinion um, (laughs) is, which I took me forever to figure out that acronym. I know I'm like slow to the game. It's micro influencers are powerful. And I think that just goes back to never underestimate, do not measure your influence based necessarily on the number of people that follow you because, and it's even in, in business, which influencers, like that is a type of business, right? And with business, I mean, you could have a hundred thousand people on your email list, but if they're the wrong hundred thousand people that are not showing up or interested in your product, then who really cares? Right. Like, exactly. because then you can't serve them in a like way that you want to. And then it goes back with defining your whole niche and really getting into like, what do the people want? What are my listeners? What are my followers? What do my people that show up really want? How can I serve them in the most effective way as well?
0: I love that. I love that you're talking about how, I mean, and you, I mean, me and you coming from a corporate standpoint, that's what we look for. We look for what is that, you know, what are you going to be offering to this audience? You know, how are we going to make that breakthrough? How are you going to be, you know, vetting and representing this different, you know, this brand or this business in, in the right way? I feel like recently we actually are seeing a turn of, influencers stepping into that and really understanding that they have analytics and that they have different types of demographics within their audience and how to leverage them in the correct way. I mean, there was a time when me, no one even knew what a media kit was, you know, yeah. and it's nice now that, you know, I mean, there's some of these girls that we even reach out to, I mean, man, they they know their stats, they know their shit and it's, it's impressive You know, not even, I mean, from a brand standpoint, especially a corporate brand standpoint, if someone could bring you something like that and bring it to the table and say, look, you know what, here's, here's my audience. It's either a
1: good fit for you or it's not, but this is what I have to offer we, so speaking about brands too, for the summit. So a lot of part of our revenue generation is through, um, we have sponsors on the podcast sometimes, but not always, I would probably say it's about mm, 35% sponsors. And then the other 65% is really talking about something that we're offering. So we're sponsoring, like we're talking about the summit coming up, let's say. Mm -hmm. And then we also do sponsors for the summit and, I actually had been reached out to from a very, very large uh, brand that I would bet everyone would know. And they wanted to partner, they wanted to talk about collaboration. And I had the call and I with them and I knew that this could be huge. But I couldn't and I know one of the the things too about influencing is also how do you maintain that integrity for your mm-hmm. audience and how do you really vet and not just take something because it's going to drive money, but you actually like filter what you do and what you don't and so, in this situation, I just had to email them back, and I was like, "It's great, you know, speaking with you, but due to x, y, and z, like I just don't think it's going to be a strong fit for you, and I don't want you to you know misuse your your dollars towards your marketing, but then also I wanted to protect the integrity of the brand and I didn't want to i think building that influence is knowing that no know, like and trust, and for me i don't i won't just put a brand or put a product in front of my followers and listeners just because I'm getting money in exchange and especially like having to go through that and I I see like influencers who are influencers on Instagram and like blogging like I'm sure that's a decision that people make multiple times a day to protect the integrity of their brand and the people that show up and listen to them
0: I love that. I love so much that you're talking about protecting the integrity because I mean, you're right. It's so, I mean, anyone, no offense to those that are out there and I'm sure they're making a lot of money, but like anyone could go get the skinny fit tea or whatever, thing like that. You know, it's-
1: (laughs) Or the diff eyewear. What is the diff eyewear? I see that all the time. I'm like, Hey, no, no. I mean, again, I don't not like- it's not even a judgment about people doing those things cuz that it that's the that's their revenue model and that yeah. that's how they make they make money i just know that i'm sure everybody's got their own threshold in terms of what they're willing to move the the meter on i guess
0: yeah for sure no i mean it's it is it's one of those things where like yeah your exposure is unreal but is it worth being that company name, like, are you worth? Are you worth? You want that look? Do you want the look of being the? <laughs> yeah. defy wear the skinny fit tee, I mean, that's coming from a brand standpoint. What
1: but- is the <laughs> skinny fit tee? You can still keep that in there. You don't have to. It's that fine.
0: Out. Yeah, it's cool. We we're, we're explicit. It's fine. I text those. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't know. I feel like I've just seen it. It started, I feel like it started with like the bodybuilders and then it from there it went to like the influencers and like I'm going joking, to jokingly call them like the ass models. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it was like that demographic and now it's like opened up to everybody. But it's just any oh skinny. My I mean, there's so many now, but I, you're giving so much great value and tips on both sides of the spectrum, which I think is really awesome, on the on the spectrum of the personal brand and also, you know, having this amazing corporate America background as well. If you could give one influential tip to our audience, what would that be?
1: It would be to be consistent, but not probably what you're what most people would think. Like, okay, yeah, of course, you gotta be consistent with the content. You got to da-da-da. Be consistent with the experience. Because the way that you show up and the way that your product or service, or in this case, might be a blog post or an Instagram post is to be consistent with the feeling and experience that you're giving your people. And an easy example of this is if you go to the gym or even there's a gym that I used to go to in Chicago and I would show up for different instructors and at different times. And the experience that I got always changed. And when you really look at like what you what you like about a business or what you like about a brand or what you like about um, Nordstrom or what you I mean it, it just all goes back to the experience is consistent. There's no surprises. You know what you're gonna get. That's why we go to the same hairstylist because we know that he or she is going to be able to perform to the way that we want them to. And I believe that is I know that's true in business and I believe that's true in content creation and the experience. So that when someone comes in or tunes into your podcast, they know that they are going to get Whitney and they have an expectation, whether they know it or not, that Whitney is going to perform in a certain way and Whitney creates a certain environment. And so if Whitney changed that every single time, it would be inconsistent. It would be hard for the listener to actually follow and actually create disengagement. So be consistent in the experience that you are providing and creating.
0: I love that, and I love that you referenced Nordstrom because I feel like that is such a yeah yeah a yeah (laughs) b. But I feel like you know it's so true. Like you you unintentionally and subconsciously do kind of form these expectations. I feel like that's why. I mean, a rebrand, a change in name, a change in anything that they're always, I don't want to say catastrophic because that's not the right word, but they are, they, they create a volatile environment. And mm. I like that you said that it does actually create that disengagement because it's not that what you're doing is bad per se, but it is kind of, upsetting that expectation that people already have. So I love that. And I think a lot of people don't talk about that. I don't think they talk about the experience. I think they talk about just post, 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 content, 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 you know, always be consistent, just execute. But I agree. I think if you're, you're not being consistent in the experience, they're going to, they're going to miss it.
1: And I think most people are probably doing it, uh, um, unconsciously just in terms of using presets and the lingo and stuff. And just being more conscious about it, like what you're actually doing is creating this consistent um, experience with it too. So, yeah, for sure. So, um, where do you see social media going? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know. I used to think that we we're going to come to a time where everyone was going to, there's going to be a tipping point where people would just burn out and there would be like people would just get off and there'd be this mass exodus. Now I'm like, no, 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 no. It's definitely, definitely here. Um, I, I've seen, I don't, I, it's hard. Like, I'm not gonna say it's hard. Um, <laughs> there's parts of me that I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish that it wasn't around in yeah. some capacity. Right. Cause it is, it's noise. It's a lot of noise. So what, here's what I do think is that people are going to, we're already moving into a less is more and trying to figure out how do I cut through the noise and how do I separate myself from being the noise? And I was listening to a podcast the other day and they Frank Kern was saying that it's no longer about the information age, it's more about insights. And so it's not just producing content for the sake of content, but like how are you actually showing and people how to use? So it's how to use the product. So if let's say you are, you know, Doing something like a promotional product, you are showing more about how to actually use that product and integrate it into your life than just talking about it and actually showing them how to use it. For she did it her way, I've seen successful people in the online space do nothing on Facebook ex- except Facebook ads. So in my industry, a lot of Facebook groups are really, really big because mm-hmm. people see it as a way to grow their community and network and people can, if you do it the right way, you can really leverage it to help drive revenue in your business and build that relationship. But for me personally, like I've openly have, I love it some days. And then other days I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel so overwhelmed because then I feel like I'm so exposed. And I've just seen some businesses where they, the only thing that they use Facebook for is to drive Facebook ads that then put them on their website, but they don't do any Facebook group. I've seen them not be on Instagram. And these are like million dollar businesses. They're actually like figures. They're like $20 million businesses. And they have no sort of like, the The person behind the business is not active on social media. So I think like if you're smart, you can decide how you want to leverage it and use it, but it's definitely not going away.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like I was talking with somebody and we were talking about how there's just so much content being produced and yes, you can niche down and yes, you could be like a micro influencer, but at some point, we're gonna have to start indexing all of this. Like, there will be in Google for social media. There's gonna have to be. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, there's just, it's just so much. And I, I like too that you're talking about how each social media channel, you know, it's not all one animal. You know, Facebook lives and breathes a different way than Pinterest does, and oh, same with yeah. and same with Instagram, and um, and,
1: LinkedIn. Most and LinkedIn, don't even LinkedIn, but that's also like gold Dude, for
0: LinkedIn yeah. is insane, and it is like I mean I've seen friends of mine that are like consistently blogging on there, you know, shared by Forbes, they're getting shared by all these things, and like their connections are unreal, yeah. and it it's it's so I mean it's so different. It's interesting because I, I, I 100% agree with you. It's not going away. And I agree with this you know simple is better and we're trying to cut through that noise because right now everyone's almost overproducing content that it's overwhelming and that you almost get like anxiety looking at it. Um, but I do feel like there's gonna be. I feel like there's gonna be a movement and a shift where we're gonna eventually have to say, okay, look, you know, we we're gonna have to start indexing indexing all this stuff. I can't say indexing for
1: indexing. <laughs> no, I. That's mean, crazy. It's a, it's just having a mental file for all that stuff, and woof, there's a lot out there right? I know it's this world. Okay. So
0: we're going to go into some rapid kind of fire, some yeah. fun questions. I know it's good. I feel like we already broke the ice. So these are just going to be, mm-hmm. easy, you know? Okay. Yes. So, um, what is your go-to cocktail?
1: Okay. So I don't do cocktails, but I okay. love wine. And my recent fan favorite is French wine. It's the Sancerre. It's white. Um, Ooh. I'm usually not a white drinker, I typically go for red, but I'm just really digging on the french wine right now.
0: Okay, first off, I love that you drink bougie wine. I mean, that is so <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love I, when you find a bottle and you're like, "I I have no idea what this even says, but it's fine." And we're going yeah. get-
1: to You're like, "Uh, no, I mean, it definitely I like my hobbies outside of business. I genuinely one, I like drinking wine. I enjoy it. But two, I genuinely enjoy learning about it. So it makes it makes it a little bit. Yeah. I just, <laughs> Sancerre, if you haven't, I'm telling you, I, if anyone's listening and they're a full, you love red wine, try the French Sancerre. It's really good. Especially okay. great if it's a warm climate.
0: So I just learned too. And I, I'm like trying to still debunk this, but I feel, I think it's, I'm almost positive. It's, it's true fact listeners, please, you know, send me if I'm completely off on this, but, um, aren't there wines like red wines that are made from white grapes and, uh, isn't that a
1: thing? Yeah. 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 So, um, you're like, uh, so really what they do with the white wine, all wines, um, not all wines, but some wines I forget. I think it's like a like the rose or what happens in they call them the vats. So they'll yeah. put all the grapes in the vats, which I'm sure there's probably a Psalm a som out here listening and is like, no, that's not how you do it. So <laughs> we're trying to get one thousand percent correct, but they have these vats, and so all the grapes go into the vat. They press the grapes down, and then they put all the yeast and everything on top of it. So what happens is is that then the I believe like the the peels of the grapes will go to the top, and so sometimes they either run the the um, skins through twice, which then help create the dark colors in the red wine. But obviously there's white wine grapes as well. But with Rosé, I want to say that they don't um, go through, but they also do have a white Pinot, like white Pinot Noir. Um, Ooh. Yeah. It's crazy. I actually, my one of my best friends who's like a sister to me, we went to France this summer as, as the summer girls vacation which not all of my girls' vacations are this glamorous. Like, you don't, <laughs> I don't want anyone being like, oh, I don't know. You're kind of bougie, Amanda. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, but we went to um, Paris and then we went to Champagne and learned a lot. Again, like it was just such an incredible experience just to learn about the viticulture and all of that. But they have, yeah, I think Pinot Noir is one of those that you can have like white Pinot grapes, I think. that's amazing. We'll have to Google that let's Google it. (laughs) Someone tell us. (laughs) All right. They're like, okay, enough about wine, move on. Okay. So next one is, uh, your favorite awful reality TV show. Oh my gosh. Okay. So when I totally want to zone out and I just brain dead, I, I would say it would be Southern charm, um, Charleston, but they're not awful. I actually, they're kind of hysterical along (laughs) with, um, and whatever that show is. Okay, the awful one is I I would say Real Housewives of Orange County. Oh my gosh. I mean, I can watch them for a hot like 30 minutes and then I just have to turn it off and- (laughs) take a break. Cause it's just, it's too much. And, but it's also hilarious. Vicky's hysterical. And sometimes I like watching it. Cause I think it's more of a human experiment. I'm like, Oh, this is what they're going to say. This is what's going to happen. Here's how she's going to react. Right. And so oh I'm trying to predict gosh. like human behavior happening in reality TV, even though most of it is scripted anyway. So it's great. Yeah. You know what? We don't, we don't watch it to be good humans. We
0: watch it exactly for
1: that. Okay. That's why it's exactly that. Okay.
0: So what is, you know, one of your favorite podcasts right now that you're listening to?
1: I, so two of them, like I said, uh, Brooke Casillo, the life coach school. And then number two is Russell Brunson, who's the founder of ClickFunnels. So they're oh business ones. Yeah, I'm
0: Like, I like the ClickFunnels one. I'm going to have to get into that one.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really good, especially for online email marketing and stuff. Oh my gosh. I love it.
0: Okay. And then do you have... Do you have like a self-love or like wellness practice in like your daily routine?
1: Yes, I meditate. It doesn't happen all, it doesn't happen every day, but my routine and what I do is um, at least 10 minutes of daily meditation.
0: I love that. Do you use like an app or anything?
1: I have. um, Sometimes I use an app. Sometimes I use Spotify. The app that I would use is Headspace. Um, and then sometimes if I want more of, because headspace is a little bit of guidance, but if I'm looking for of a mantra meditation of a, a an uh, visioning exercise, then I'll u- find something on Spotify or I'll go to YouTube. And then recently what I'm really trying to do is just do full 10 minutes of silence and just focus on the breathing versus listening to someone else be there really just trying to open myself up to the, the, to, to the divine, if you could say, and to really start even, um, practicing the muscle of my intuition and listening and getting cues and being able to decipher what steps to take next.
0: I love that. I love that you have like where you sit in like silence for 10 minutes. I feel like that's probably a really, really powerful way to meditate. Yes. Um, I went like two years ago, we went. I went to Thailand for like 30 days, and what we oh went to gosh. was it was insane. We went to a um, meditation. It was like a I don't want to say like a meditation camp, but I guess it was. It was led by these amazing monks, and it was um, complete silence for 24 hours.
1: Oh my gosh! So you wow. couldn't you couldn't speak. You couldn't.
0: You sat down when you ate. You had to eat in silence, and then you meditated. 3 to 4 times a day. And it was not only life-changing but just so powerful to keep your mouth shut for 24 hours.
1: Yeah. Wow. I mean, how many times did you find yourself wanting to speak?
0: Uh, so, I mean, I'm just like a loud mouth in general. So like right. all the time. Like Same. But, and it it was honestly like I, it was just a really moving experience. Like I felt like even like in the med, like the meditation was awesome and everything like that. And it was actually got really, um, kind of like head trippy and very, very, it, it, I just feel like I tapped into just a lot of subconscious stuff and you start going through, you know, just yourself and who you are and what made you, you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was sitting down and eating in silence surrounded by, you know, I think there was like 150 people in the camp and like, collectively practicing that, it was unreal. It was just wow. an experience. So I, yeah. I I feel like the silence is powerful.
1: That's incredible. Wow. That would be really, really powerful too, just to sit in silence and to be around people but not talk to them. I feel like I can sit next to a stranger and I want to talk to them.
0: Um I always like to ask like what is your weird ass favorite fashion trend right now? Like people are like dying over like the tiny glasses or like the dad oh. sneakers. <laughs> the what?